0: on the Google Play or App Store, or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly!
0: Check engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE-certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto parts! Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host,
1: Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 367. And today on the show, for our annual Get together on this topic. I am joined by Dan Nine Fingers Johnson to discuss our goals, hopes, and hit lists for the 2020 deer hunting season. Roadster, 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 All right, welcome back to the Wired Hunt Podcast, brought to you by Onyx. Today we are taking a break from the you know interview an expert, see what they think about stuff, to instead dive into what we think about stuff, the we being <laughs> myself and my compadre, Mr. Daniel Johnson. Dan, glad you're here.
2: I like how you said we're going to take a break from people who know what they're talking about. And instead today <laughs> we're going to have Dan Johnson on the show. <laughs>
1: Dan Johnson and that other bozo. <laughs> and, and we're going and to run our mouths and see what happens. <laughs> right, right. I'm uh, good, man. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm getting excited. It's mm-hmm. that uh it's that time of year, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh speaking of it being that time of year, it's also that time of year that we do this episode that we're about to do every year. We've been since I think two thousand fourteen, we've done this goals, hopes, and hit lists conversation each year. And I I like this because I need to go back and listen to those early ones. Can you imagine what we must have been talking about? in 2014 when we discussed our goals, hopes, and hit lists. I would love to listen to the trajectory over the last seven years. Um, It'd be an interesting time capsule to go back and examine how far we've come, hopefully, hopefully how far we've come.
2: It would be funny if we could over – that period of time, listen to our voices mature, like going from teenage boys to <laughs> men. Because like, I, I remember a couple times in the, some of the first episodes, your voice would crack oh, every on. once in a while. <laughs> it, it would. It would. Yeah. You know, I was hitting puberty
1: there around <laughs> around 27.
2: <laughs> hey, it took you 27 uh, years to grow, a, or a 28. How old are you now? 32. Okay. It took you like 33. I'm 33. Shit. Okay. It took you damn near 30 years to get your goatee where it needed to be.
1: I still don't even think it's quite there, (laughs) man. Let's let's be honest about it.
2: (laughs) I'm just trying to prop you up, bud. I do appreciate that. I need that
1: pat in the back every once in a while. Uh, Yeah. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to uh, catch up on any projects we've been doing here over the last month of the summer leading into the hunting season. Uh, and then go over, you know, what our hopes are for this year, our finalized plans for this year, any specific bucks that the two of us have on our radar. Um, I've got a lot of updates since we last talked. I'm sure you probably do too. Um, so we got a lot to cover. Got a lot to talk about. Um, my first hunts in 10 or I leave in 10 days.
2: And what's that for?
1: The Idaho whitetail hunt.
2: Man. Yeah. Are, Are you ready for it? I think so. Actually,
1: I feel... I feel very ready, actually. Um, My shooting's been really good. I'm feeling good about where I am from an archery perspective. Um, I just got some new arrows, though. I I decided to switch up the arrow thing, and I got those a little while ago, and they are like heat-seeking missiles. I went with a really small diameter and a heavier broadhead and uh, insert on the front, so I've got a much higher FOC so front of center so i think it's like 19% front of center um and man these things are just sinking it's pretty it's pretty fun to see so what particular weight? honestly i don't know that
2: yeah we don't um, really need you
1: yeah i'm i'm not I'm not good enough with numbers and and the little tiny details to figure all that stuff out myself. So I've got a guy that I trust who helps me make sure everything, <laughs> make sure everything's right for my setup, uh, and I, I lean on him for that. But what uh, arrows did you get? I switched to Victory arrows. Okay, I got some Victory VAP Elites. Nice. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, the bow is ready to rock and roll. I got my gear, all my other gear kind of finalized, what I'm going to take out there for that trip. I'm just going to run the saddle and a new set of sticks, a different set of sticks than I've ever used. Um, my platform, and I, I can tell you all about the scouting I did, but I scouted out some stuff out there. I feel good about Idaho now. Last time we talked, I was not feeling good. Um, I'm feeling really good now. Um, so yes, to answer your question. Yes,
2: I feel ready. Okay. Question is this whitetail hunt that you're going on in Idaho, a like in, in the elevation actually, like in the foothills of the mountains, or is it your traditional out West, you know, crop circles, river bottom type hunt? So it's a little both. Actually,
1: I've got three different spots I've zeroed in on and two of them are river bottom stuff. And one of them is like in the foothills. Um, So it's actually like in, you know, you might have saw the pictures I posted of a mountain lion and a bear on trail camera by one of these spots. That's the one that's like in the mountain. So there's, there's everything. There's wolves, bears, lions, the whole nine yards cruising through that spot Um, and actually some pretty decent bucks. So that is one location. And then there's two locations in the river bottom and I just have the trail camera pictures as far as Intel for the mountain spot, the river bottom spot. I was able to glass some crop fields adjacent to the public one night and spotted several nice bucks. Um, probably a couple and like that one teens, to one twenties and then one that was definitely in like the one thirties, like a definitely mature buck. And then I moved to another location And glass from a longer distance and couldn't see these deer as well, but could see like a huge frame deer. When I say huge, I mean like a definitely mature, I don't know, 140 plus type buck. Um, And then several other more of those like 120, 130 type caliber kind of thing. So long story short, I mean, anything like that would be awesome for a hunt along those lines, public land out there first time. So I'm feeling Are good about that. the numbers
2: that. good, similar to Montana?
1: I feel like lower numbers than I've seen in those Montana spots, de- definitely lower numbers, um, but decent um, for the river bottom stuff, at least. The river bottom area seems to be like a little bit higher numbers. The mountain whitetail stuff, I think it's lower numbers, um, and it's going to be much more difficult, I think, to pattern those deer because there's no crop fields. There's no you know, easy food source. It's like big timber – there's a big – there's a creek and like a canyon that runs through this chunk of, of woods where I can hunt and – or where I'm looking to hunt. I can hunt a whole lot of area, but where I found some whitetails. And uh, they're they're moving through here for sure. But it's going to be a situation where, I don't know, they're just feeding on plants and random leaves and trees and things along the creek and then some up on these ridges and these meadows. You know, there's no alfalfa field to key in on is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um so that'll be different, but kind of cool. It's, it's right. It's, you know, it's relatively close to our place out there. So I can get out there and check it out quite a bit and, uh, excited to, to learn that spot. So that's, that's what's going on in the Idaho spot. I mean,
2: what, as far as number of States that you've actually hunted whitetails in now, what does Idaho make? Uh, that's a good question. Um, okay. I've hunted
1: Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, uh, Pennsylvania, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, Nebraska, Iowa. uh, uh, I feel like I'm missing something here.
2: Missouri? Did you ever hunt Missouri? No, I don't
1: think I've hunted Missouri. Or did I? I don't remember. I I don't think I've hunted Missouri. Um, I'm missing something here, but it's like twelve, twelve states, dude. Yeah, that's somewhere pretty in good. That. Yeah. Um. So yeah, a pretty decent swath of uh of whitetail country. So yeah, man, I'm excited to get out there. It'll be new adventure, and I like those things. So yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: What now? When is your first trip? I can't
2: remember. I leave the let's see September twenty ninth or thirtieth or something like that is when I I leave my house to drive out to South Dakota to make it there for the October first opener. So
1: so hold on, that's different. That's different than when we last talked. So when are you do, when are you pushing Michigan to? Uh,
2: Michigan is going to be pushed back to like the seventeenth, I think the the third weekend in October. Hey, okay. Yeah. It's the, it's the only way I could do it, man. Um, the guy that the, there could be a possible change, but the guy that I am going to go with, he lives in New York and New York has some crazy strict rules about leaving the state and then coming back for it. Right. So if he leaves and then comes back and gets checked, then he may have to quarantine for 14 more days using 14 more days of PTO. And you know what I mean? Like no one wants to do that. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. So we're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna play it by ear. We're gonna see what happens, basically shoot from the hip. If things change and I go to South Dakota by myself, I'll probably come to Michigan for the opener Or like the third, fourth, and fifth or something like that. And then come back for a a couple days and then go to uh, South Dakota. So, uh, it's honestly, it's still up in the air, really. Okay. Well, I've got that first
1: week planning on being around for you. But I will be gone for a chunk in mid-October. But we'll hopefully be back by the 17th or 18th or somewhere in that ballpark. Is Um, your wife going to be home?
2: <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not telling <laughs> you that. Don't, don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> that came out a yeah, little came, wrong, <laughs> but it came out kind of right, too. <laughs>
1: wow, man. <laughs>
2: Yes. Make sure that if I'm going to trespass on your property, there's no one going to be at the house. (laughs) You got got cell cams too, right? I
1: got cell cams. I've got people that are going to be watching the house. People will watch all my hunting spots. There's no way that you're going to be slipping in there and killing Tran.
2: (laughs) So, Like one of your buddies, if I just go, yeah, Mark wanted me to come out here and check out the property for a couple of days. I I got it covered. They would they call you?
1: I'm going to I'm going to further on Dan Patrol.
2: Oh, I gotcha.
1: <laughs> uh but speaking of that, you know, we haven't actually talked about Tran on the Wired Hunt podcast yet. Yeah. We talked about it on your podcast a week or two ago. Yep. But uh probably people know from social media or listening to your show, but Tran, that buck that I was after all last year, he's back. He made it. And I've seen him a bunch now. Yeah, um, sounds pretty local. Yeah, he the first Week that I got back, first week of August that I got back from Idaho, um, I was able to get out and glass there a bunch, and he showed up like four times over like an eight-day period at night to feed, and then he disappeared for a while because I had to go back on that property, and I had to do a bunch of food plot prep, and I went and hung trail cameras and just got all my stuff done, and then he, he disappeared for a while, but then he has showed up the last two nights. Back in daylight feeding out in this bean field um so he's he's not as you know when we did that prediction we were trying to predict what he would look like yeah he's not quite that but a little bit like I, when we were talking i said that he had a little sticker off one of his bases last year and i was guessing this year he would have two big ones that was true he's got okay. he's got a sticker off each base and they're probably an inch to an inch and a half long maybe those are pretty cool, and then otherwise he's just like a big mainframe eight pointer. Hard to tell exactly how long those tines are, but they're long. Um, I mean, you saw the picture—just a big framed eight, and uh, just a cool, just a cool buck. So it's uh, it's game on.
2: Yeah, man. And he's a uh, main. You said mainframe eight. Yeah, eight, and then those sticker points in the base. Base, yeah, yeah. He's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful buck, man um i like eight pointers so you should shoot him I'm i'm going to do my damnest
1: is he's he on uh,
2: your property every day
1: i mean i don't know about that um but he's he's somewhere pretty close at least i mean if if i look historically he was always fr- frequent he was frequenting it i i believe that he lives if I had to guess like based off of my scouting based off of trail camera data based on the last two and a half years of observation I think there are two potential zones two to three potential zones that I feel pretty confident he's betting in and one of them is in a neighbor's property and one of them is on the property I hunt um and and it's close to the edge both of them so I you know I know where his home zone is for most of the time. I've got a lot of data to work off of as far as past year's history. Um, and now it's just a matter of making it happen. I've made a bunch, of, not a bunch, but I've made some changes to the to the farm to specifically try to set myself up for a better chance to get a shot of him. Um, which, I mean, we can just get into it, I guess, since we're talking about it. Yeah, um, go for it. So this is that same property, you know, where, The Holyfield saga happened where, you know, I would see that deer all the time in some neighboring cover, but I couldn't hunt it. Um, So I have just like a lot of edge and farmland and then a couple little grassy areas that I've been able to convert to food plots. So in the past, you know, one of the big changes on this property was when I converted this old grassy field into a food plot system. Um, That was probably seven years ago I did that, and that started getting some of these deer that hung out on the neighbors to come over to my side. And I started, you know, I've I've killed a few bucks in this food plot system. That's where I killed Frank, that really big one a few years ago. I killed a buck on opening day out here. I've killed a lot of does. It's become like a really good spot that in the past didn't do anything for me. But I have found that while I have had a few encounters and usually like opening day or the first couple days of the season, you'll get a big boy in there, um, The big ones, the mature bucks, more often than not, don't end up coming out there. Um, Or if they do, it's quick or it's out of range. And I was just trying to sit and think, you know, what can I do to just make this a little bit more enticing or a little bit better so that if a deer does come through here and I'm hunting it, I guarantee to get that shot. Um, So I made two changes. Um, Number one, this whole little system of food plots, it's only about a two acre area. So it's relatively small, but it's circled on one side by this food plot screen of sorghum and Egyptian wheat that I plant every year. So I've got that. But what I used to do was just kind of plant that whole area into food plots. Um, and now each year since I've started adding more and more cover on the inside to try to make the, it small, smaller openings. So deer will feel more comfortable coming out there in daylight. I don't want them to have to feel like they're going from this really great thick brushy cover into a wide open field and, and not feel comfortable doing that. So I've continued to let more and more cover grow back in this chunk and then create kind of narrower strategically designed food plots. So I went from this food plot, I could sit in my tree stand and it would be 60 yards to the edge of it. And I would see lots of bucks that would walk that edge and they'd be out of range. Mm -hmm. I shifted the plot design this year to make sure the farthest range from me would be 40 yards away. So I moved that outside edge in closer. So if they come out into that area, they've got to be within range. I've added a couple of cover corridors. So basically I've broken up the food plot into almost a four leaf clover with big chunk of grass and brush that I've left in between each one of those leaves of the clover. So now instead of it seeming like a two-acre field, it seems like four, you know, quarter to third-acre little curvy winding openings. Um, So again, hoping this is like almost like a maze that deer come into and they feel, they're never feeling like they're very far from cover. They can't see very far, so they need to move through it to look for other deer. Imagine a buck coming through here and instead of you know, walking downwind or stepping into it and just looking at the whole field. Now he's got to move around. Um, So I did that. And the second thing I did was I took Steve Bartilla's advice. He gave me a few weeks ago and added a bunch of licking branches into the food plot system. So in the past, I know you've heard me talk about these like fake scrape trees that I put. I'll put like one of these things right in the middle of the food plot and they used to do just one per field. I put four in this one. So the idea being, this is like a communication hub on steroids now, all kind of in a small area. So there's gonna be a lot of sign, a lot of uh, you know information being passed along here. So yeah, I'm just hoping between all of that, it's it's more conducive to daylight movement. Hopefully there's gonna be a bunch of scraping activity. There's gonna be great food. I planted these food plots. Oh. 10 days ago or a week ago, and I just checked and they're germinating and coming up nice. Um, It's, I don't know. I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit more. I mean, it's always worked pretty well, but I think it's just going to be a little bit better. I'm trying to get that one or 2% edge, you know, that maybe gives me the shot at Tran or at whoever. And it's a spot that I'm not going to hunt a ton. You know, it's gonna be like an opening night hunt, maybe you know, an evening during the rut or late October when they're coming out to feed in the evenings. Um, but it's it's a spot that's pretty central, at least from a scouting perspective too, because I can glass this area from afar. Um, this is the place that, if you remember last year, I didn't hunt opening night because it was bad weather. So I thought oh, I'll sit in the hill and watch it, and then the next day when the cold front hits, I'll hunt it. And I watched it opening night and watched Tran walk right by my tree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah, not going to make that same mistake this year,
2: hopefully. Um, I got a question. Yeah. I know, was it this spring or early this summer, the power line company came through and was doing some work in, in the area. Did that affect you or is that going to affect you at all?
1: So I wasn't sure how it would affect me, but they finished up in June. Um, so it kept me from like being able to do any maintenance work on the plots because actually like they, they were doing work basically in my plot areas because I can use that power line for, for food plot stuff. Um, so I couldn't do any spring prep. I just came in late this summer, and they were gone by then, and they had moved out their big – they essentially laid a wooden pallet road across the whole power line, and that kind of messed up the soil. There's huge ruts through the food plots and a bunch of weird kind of holes now. But other than that, it hasn't impacted me at all. Um, and, And honestly, by having that road there and then taking it out, they killed a bunch of stuff. And then when they removed that road, allowed new stuff to grow up. So a bunch of new plants grew up where there used to be just grass. Now there's a bunch of milkweed and different things like that. So that's kind of cool. So ended up not being a big deal. Now, if they come in and do more maintenance work in season, like cutting trees or something, then that'll really throw off my whole game plan. But um, as of now, fingers crossed, it's going to be okay.
2: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, Yeah. So that's where Tran's going to be. Uh, there's another pretty nice nine pointer I've been seeing there. Um, I'm guessing he's probably just three though. So I think he'll be a pass. Um, but if it gets closer to hunting season and he just looks like a tank and appears more mature than I think right now, then, you know, if, if train disappeared, maybe I'd take a crack at him. Uh, there was that. Last year in late November, a new buck showed up. I was calling the browless eight, just like a big eight pointer that has brows busted off. He was mature last year. So if he shows up in season again, he'd be a buck on that farm. I'd be after two. So if we're talking hit list, I guess on that farm, uh, Tran is, is number one out of everything. And then that browless eight would be number two if he comes back. Um, and then I don't know about that nine pointer, um, Bunch of good young bucks too that I've been seeing that hopefully will stick around for future years. So stuff looks uh, stuff looks pretty good there. We'll see how it goes. Um, awesome.
2: What does your gut tell you about Tran? You think you're going to have an encounter with him where you're going to be able to shoot him? I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know unless he gets killed by someone else. If yeah, that, that's the big trump card, I don't know. But if someone else doesn't kill him, I feel very good about my chances. I know the buck. I know where he's at. I'm. I've you know fine tuned a lot of stuff and move sets and prep trees for saddle hunts deeper and deeper into the cover, um, where I think you know i'll i'll get i'll get my potential opportunities. You never know. But um, yeah. he's he's a homebody. He'll be around.
2: So historically, I'm talking not about train, but in deer movement in general has. The deer movement on the farm that you hunt stayed the same or has it changed over the years? Um.
1: Well, I think that in general, there are some basic trends that have stayed pretty consistent. Um, although like one thing would be, you know, when I added that food plot system, that added a whole new area that deer started using a ton. Like that's now like one of the main hotspots in the farm that in the past never was. So that is a change. Um, Otherwise it's, it's a pretty simple, there's, there's lots of good bedding on some neighboring properties, a little bit on mine, and then all the crop fields are kind of on mine. And so you've got deer moving off of the neighbor's bedding, coming out to these fields where I can hunt and I can hunt around the edges. and, And that's always the same. Um, I've just have changed how I hunt a lot. I used to hunt just the edges. Now I hunt some of the edges still on occasion, but I've been, every year I've kind of pushed further and further back. Um, and I'm con- going to continue to do that and I think be more aggressive this year than ever. So, so I see different movement because of that. Um, as far as like deer activity there's always like a lot of great activity early in the season, And then, you know, I hunt a few times early in the year. Usually, mature buck sightings drop down again through mid October, at least out in the spots that I can see easily. I'm sure they're doing stuff back in the cover. Um, But then, historically, right around that last week of October, it just seems like there's always a doe that comes in early or something gets them going. And it just seems like this farm is a little bit better earlier than other places. So I, I like to make sure I'm hunting there that last week of October. Um, Cause that just seems to be when it, when it gets exciting. So it goes through November and then gun season hits and everything shuts down. And then usually late season picks up again once uh, the pressure settles down a little bit. So that's the typical pattern I see.
0: Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code meater. That's promo code meater at urgentcarekit.com dot com slash
1: meat eater. we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but here's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today
2: at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You know, sometimes your gut can tell you a lot, man, and uh I think you I mean, you've been hunting this farm for how many years now? Oh,
1: um this might be my tenth year, nine years, ten yeah. years, something like that. So you
2: got it. I mean, for the most part, I would say you you got figure it figured out.
1: I know the basics at least. I yeah. now it's just like trying to figure out what each individual buck does, but I, yeah. I definitely know the basics. Um, but it's it's it's. I like to bounce around a lot of different states. I like that new adventure, but for some reason this place continues to be a fun challenge because I'm, I'm still finding ways to tweak or I'm still doing different things or I'm still trying new things. It's, it's remained interesting for me, which is, which has been cool. And I think a big part of that has been, I've been lucky to have bucks make it year after year. So I get to, you know, learn a specific buck and and that just, as you know, gets me excited.
2: Yeah. And then, Let's see. I'm thinking about the main farm that I hunt. This will be the 13th season I've hunted it and I've gotten somewhat of it figured out, but it just becomes just like any farm. Really, you can have it figured out, but it's a matter of that deer has to walk by your stand while you're in it all at one time.
1: Yeah, always easier said than done, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. So so let's talk about that farm then a little bit. What's uh, anything new that you've scouted out there, figured out, or basically going in with uh, your mobile hunting strategy as usual and uh, just going to pick it up once the season starts?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's typically what I do anyway. Um, man, as far as prepping for the season, I just feel I'm way behind. I've only checked trail cameras one time this entire summer so far, I'm going to try to sneak out, uh, today and maybe take my boy with me and go do it. I got a wedding down there anyway, so I'm going to try to, uh, I don't know, try to get out and and maybe at least check them. But the shift, you know, the, the trail camera shift that we always talk about, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to it until closer to October now, just because of the schedule. Um, with work and that storm that came through, uh, Eastern Iowa, we're just way behind. I'm, I'm just way behind on work. So it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to go out and check trail cameras, or I'm going to spend a day to go do this when I know I got a shit ton of work to do at home and, and you know, catch everything up. But other than that, man, it's just, I'm behind shooting my bow. I'm behind with work. I'm behind, you know, I'm just, I don't know. That's that. those are all excuses, by the way, which nobody wants to hear excuses, but that's a fact. I'm just, I'm a little behind, but as far as that farm is concerned, I'm going to try to get some trail cameras out in some, in some places to start catching. But the good thing is, is I know where the, the good funnels are. I know where the pinch points are. I know where the, the deer movement is for the most part. And Knowing that allows me to almost, it allows me to be unprepared from what I'm normally doing because the way I hunt, I can just get caught up real quick, right? Throw some trail cameras out, hunt a couple days, go check those trail cameras come late October, early November when I make the decision to start hunting and then just start that, that rotation, right? Find the deer on trail camera, move in. Yeah. And make those minor adjustments until you connect with one.
1: Did you, did you get to listen to that whole conversation I had with Andre the other day? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, you, I get
2: well, not the whole. I don't know if I listened to the last fifteen minutes of it, but I tried. So I'm curious,
1: based off of the stuff he was talking about, do you see any of his? You know, he's got kind of a similar approach to you, except for instead of trail cameras, you know, he's using just sign he sees in the ground and moving based off that. Do you? see adjusting anything based on some of the things he was saying is that anything that might influence what you do there
2: there's one thing that he said that i kind of like and that is you'll never spook a deer out of his core area he'll he'll run away and then he'll come back or he'll go hide somewhere or he'll back you or maybe just you know, go nocturnal for a couple of days, but he's not going to just leave and go five miles down the road. Yeah. Right. So that is something that I've always kind of thought anyway, but I think I'm, it's it's hard to be more aggressive than what I already am other than with time of year. Right. I mean, go into the bedding area October 10th or something like that. Right which I won't be just because of time constraints, but if I could, maybe I just start hunting and making those more aggressive moves earlier in the season Mm -hmm. to try to to find where they're at. And for me, it's hard because in certain states, and this is, I hope I don't come off arrogant when I say this, but when you have five deer that are four or older on your property, you don't know which one of those deer is making that sign. Right. right you can you can try to you, you can guess or whatever but the only w- real way is with trail cameras and with like in person encounters right so yeah it's uh it's and what I what I found is I guess you want to say is my bread and butter is to go in and just start the rotation just get in the timber Go to those historically good uh, places first and then start crossing parts off the farm. Now, here's what I will tell you. If Gnarly Charlie shows up, I get to cut off half the farm because historically, he doesn't go through – he went through the the main pinch point one time last year, and that was it. But other than that, I get to chop that farm in half and, and just focus on more. So how big would that chunk be? The focus area, the focus area would be like 400 acres. Okay.
1: So, I mean, it's still a lot to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to process. I mean, I can spend my whole year drumming my brain, trying to figure out how to hunt 80 acres, uh, let alone 400 man.
2: But you have to remember not every, not every acre in that 400 acres is really good for tree stands. I mean, it's, some of it's wide open timber. Some of it is like the bottoms, you know, the, the, the crick bottom, some of it is wide open ag field. So you take, you take your knowledge of the past years and mine's being 13 years and you're able to see where the deer move moving, what ridges they prefer. And you just use that information to put yourself in the best possible position.
1: Yeah. So Gnarly Charlie's your number one buck for sure, right, if if, he, if, if he's there?
2: If he's there. Um, yeah. Hopefully this weekend I get to come out and, and check some more trail cameras and confirm it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's back, he's number one. But there's also a mammoth eight-pointer out there uh, who – now, I think I told you this in a previous episode that the first card pull I have – other than like this 160 class 10, which is a a absolutely great deer. And if he come by, I'd probably shoot him, but there are three other deer that made them, uh, so a total of five deer, I would say that have made themselves known last year. And if last year is the same as this year and all these deer show back up, uh, it could be a really good year as far as putting the the pieces of the puzzle together using the data that I collected last year. So, um, let's
1: let's just assume they made it. Yeah. What, what would, what would be the other deer, um, that you'd be looking at? So if Gnarly, if Gnarly Charlie's back, he's number one, uh, what would be the next buck you'd be the most excited about?
2: Yeah. So there's this 10 pointer and he's a Larry Zach drawing of a ten pointer. Ooh, and yeah. I I don't mean like he's not a two hundred inch ten pointer, but he is that hundred and seventy inch typical ten beautiful Iowa whitetail. And he'll probably be a five year old this year. And he was one seventy ish last year. Uh he was probably about one sixty two or three or low one sixties as okay. a ten this year, you know, just if if he does make it uh another one is an absolutely giant eight pointer well past his years he's just this cage another perfect frame with a split G2 on one side um, he's one of them that was running around last year and then what was the other one uh probably another 160 class nine pointer that had a big so he's 10 total points but he was a mainframe nine with a split G2 on the far, on the four point side so He's running around, and then there was another. So that's four, and then there was another ten-pointer, really tight, probably just out to his ears, but really tall. And he was a three-year-old last year at a probably a 150 class, 1 155 maybe, but you know, at another year he'll be a four-year-old this year. If he makes it, then that would be awesome. And then you have your other deer that are mature, but not necessarily a, you know, anything to brag about in the antler category. Yeah, man. Well, <laughs> you've got some options, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that doesn't come off arrogant. It's just, I, I live where I live. Yeah. Hey,
1: you can't falter for that. Yeah. Um, now here's, here's a question. And I know we've, we've talked about this in the past a little bit, but I'm just curious to see where it stands right now. Let's say gnarly shows up on camera this summer but you get out there and start hunting. He's you know, showing up on camera here and there, but one of these other bucks show in shooting range. Is yeah. this the year that you're going to pass on some of these shooters because you really want to get gnarly or what?
2: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to pass on a 170 class 10-pointer for gnarly Charlie. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. If any one of those hit list deer show up, I'm going to go after I'm going to attempt the shot, yeah. right? Um, but one, one thing I won't do is if gnarly, uh, gnarly Charlie is active on the farm for some reason, I will be putting myself into position to hunt him, not these other deer. So my decision-making is going to be for him, not anything else. The, the good part about this area is that these deer, these five deer from last year all run the same circuit, Right. I don't think they all live in the same core area, but I think their core area overlap in that, on that farm. So certain parts of the rut vacation, certain parts of them come in and they come out, you know, they're checking them for those and whatnot. And you know, if there's a good chance that if I put myself in the right position, I'm going to be able to, uh, have an encounter with one of those, one of those five deer. Man, that's, uh, or any bonus bucks that come through. So, yeah, which which you never know around there. Yeah, the buck I shot last year was a a bonus buck. Yeah. So
1: yeah, that's exciting. And yeah. the hunting season. So you'll be gone early season. You'll be gone mid season.
2: So when are you going to start hunting the main Iowa farm then? Yeah, probably not. Um, I'd love to get out there and check some cameras. I'm going to be putting some cell cams out just to see the deer movement pick up. But other than that, I doubt I'm able to hunt that farm until after, uh, November 3rd or something like that. So I'm going to vote on November 3rd, I think it is. And then I'm heading down (laughs) to the farm. So
1: man, you know what? I remember back in the day, you would there had been some other year where you said you weren't going to be a hunt in October at all. You weren't going to be a hunt until November, and I was pissed at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not so mad now because you are hunting. You're hunting all over the place, just not there in
2: Iowa. So right. it's nice to see how life's changed for you in that way, at least. Yeah, man. Trust me, if if things were different, like I can, I'm leaving the state to go to Michigan. If I told my wife I was going to go down to the, uh, the farm an hour south of me for four days straight, she would not have that. But (laughs) for some reason, because this is a planned excursion that, that she's okay with it for, so whatever. So, you know, I'm going to be gone for eight or nine days on this mule deer hunt. And then I got to come back. I got to work. I got to play daddy daycare. Uh, school's going to be starting up with just some crazy ass schedule, like three days on for two weeks and then three days off. So it's going to go three, three, two, two, three, three, two, two until they decide to go back full time or do this remote thing, whatever that is. So that has to, I have to play that into the cards. There's the potential that my season just gets totally effed if if classes don't resume full time, because that means someone's going to have to watch the kids. My wife is going to, I'm going to have to get a daycare provider. My wife's going to have to work from home. Like all these things that's going to really cripple the season, to be honest with you. Yeah. And how likely do you think that is 50, 50 kind of thing or, you know, I'm not, I'm not one for politics, but I live in one of the most liberal counties in the state of Iowa, which when they make decisions, they tend to make them more towards the liberal, right? If we were gonna say, this is just you know, hypothetical or you know, stereotypes, let's just go by stereotypes. De- uh, Republicans, they want school to go back in session, you know, full time, no restrictions. Democrats, they want the schools to be closed and and go remote, right? Or some kind of hybrid model. Well, the counties that I live near, the the two main ones, they're the highest populated counties in Iowa. They always vote liberal or uh, democratic in every election. So every decision that they've made thus far has scared me into, you know, like, Hunting season may be close to home or just way more trips, way more one or two day trips down and then yeah. come back. Yeah. So
1: yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Hopefully it works out okay for you.
2: Man, I hope so too. But either way, I'm equally as excited for the upcoming season. Um, you know, all, of, I think we talked about it like three years ago, four years ago, they, they did all that logging yeah. on the property yeah. and it is beautiful now in there. I mean, it is thick. It is nasty. It is what you want for deer cover on your farm.
1: Yeah, I remember how stressed you were when it was happening, and I was like, "Man, just wait, just yeah. wait." I'm glad. Yep. I'm glad. Um, I got to see a picture of that. I'd like to see what it
2: looks like. Yeah, well, just stand in front of a bush and take a picture. I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. There, <laughs> it is six foot high, just straight wall of patches where they took the wherever they took one of these big mature trees down that area where its canopy was is a wall of smaller trees bushes you know uh woody browsed and it 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 literally holds deer, and it's awesome
0: pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits not a first aid kit, all right? Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at UrgentCareKit.com slash eater and use promo code eater. That's promo code eater at UrgentCareKit.com slash
1: eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, speaking of what you were just saying a second ago, the, the Michigan trip, your travels. Let's let's circle back on that a little bit. Um, we talked this spring about your game plan. Uh, has every, anything changed in your mind? Have you done any more e-scouting or anything like that since we talked last time about it? Um, where Where's your
2: head at on all that? Yeah, man. Uh, along with the e-scouting, you know, some people – giving me tips on where I should hunt. Uh, you know, some near you, some about 45 minutes north of you. Uh, I even had one guy come up and he's like, dude, you need to come to Northern Michigan in one of these antler restriction counties. I'm telling you, yeah. it would be, it, it would be worth your trip up there. So I've gotten a lot of, um, I've gotten a lot of advice from people everything from you're wasting your time you'll never see a deer <laughs> to you know to don't sleep on Michigan if you do everything right you'll get a crack at it like a a 128 pointer or something yeah. like that so um you know I'm I'm just excited to do I was talking to my buddy Bob Polanic and I was like I'm just excited to do something different this will be the first ever trip that, well, other than the, the combination mule deer, uh, whitetail hunt I did in Nebraska, this will be the first whitetail focused trip I've ever taken out of state. Yeah, I know. So I'm just excited to do something different, excited to see new terrain, excited to, you know, you know, I don't know, just excited for everything. And, uh, as far as what I'm looking for in a buck, he, you know, used to give me shit for that comment. You know, if it makes me go, uh, <laughs> yep. uh I'm going to shoot it. Well, this is going to be probably, you know, I'm going to say it's going to be a 100% mood focused decision. Yeah. Like what's my mood that day? Does that, Oh, well, here's a, here's a, a fork horn. I'm going to be able to take meat home. Why not?
1: You hey, know what I mean? That's uh. The Michigan 22 pointer right there. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, man. Yeah. You know, like you're saying, and I know we we talked about this before, but you definitely could get into them and you could see some nice bucks. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if you could shoot 125 inch buck at the same time. I wouldn't be shocked if you just saw year and a half olds and does and not a single good buck, you know, it could be, and it's, there are big bucks too. I mean, you certainly are. So you never know. You could shoot a slammer, um, but it'll be interesting to see. You know, like Bob and I, we go from Michigan and hunt Iowa. Here to go from Iowa and hunt Michigan. I've I've never, I don't know a single person who's ever gone the reverse order. <laughs> You're the first person I know who lives in Iowa that travels out of state to hunt Michigan, and I'm I'm glad I can take a little credit for that. Well,
2: <laughs> for I'll peer tell I'll tell you this as as just a a fan of bow hunting in general, right? That time of year, let's just say I strike out on that first trip, first three day hunt. And for some reason I'm lucky and I tag out early in Iowa, there's nothing stopping me from getting back in my truck and going back to Michigan and potentially hunting some of the rut up there.
1: Yeah. Do it. I mean, I'll tell you what, whatever size buck you kill, if you kill a buck here in Michigan, that one's going to be pretty sweet. You're going to feel really good about it. I can tell yeah. you that. I, um, I don't
2: care what I shoot. You know, if I shoot a buck in Michigan, I'm going to get it Euro mounted and I'm going to put it, I don't care what size it is. I'm going to get it Euro mounted and I'm going to put it in my office.
1: I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that one. So no specific goal except for you want to kill, you want to fill a tag of you know something. Sounds yeah, like.
2: it's, it's new experience. And if I can if I can leave with a full, full cooler, man, that's a win. If you ask me. Yeah. I'd, uh, I'd have to agree. Well, good. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, no restrictions as of right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. No restrictions. Um, over the counter tag. I can just show up and buy, yep. Buy my, yep. Yep. Buy your tag gas, when you get here. Gas stations, grocery stores, all that stuff. Yep. Um,
1: yep. There's yeah, pretty much most Not all grocery stores, but your Walmarts, certain gas stations, will will get you figured out there. The only thing that you have to be aware of, and we'll cover it once you get here, would just be the CWD restrictions, like what you can transport across county lines. You know, if you want to bring it home, you'd have to have the skull completely skinned and cleaned out. You could bring, like, the the antlers and skull plate back and boned-out meat, but you... You're not supposed to take that stuff across county
2: lines throughout the state. Well, maybe um, I'll just find a taxidermist there to do my yeah. <laughs> if I if I shoot a buck, hey, just do it there, and then you know give me another excuse to come up to Michigan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, I got gotcha. you. I got good recommendations for all that stuff. So
0: perfect,
2: love it. Um, I sh- we should talk a little bit about the back forty. Yeah, let talk about the back forty a little bit. I got a question about the back forty. Yeah. So you guys have done all this really high folk, you know, you've really focused on the habitat there uh, over the last couple or over this last year. Has it since, because I think the last time that we talked, you mentioned that it really hasn't brought more deer into the farm quite yet, but now that we've had a growing season under our belt, I'm just curious if the de- if it's holding more deer as of right now
1: yeah uh, and I I think the answer is yes I think definitely um I saw two things this winter so after the first hunting season after we stopped hunting and left it alone there was a lot of deer in there and a lot of deer sign when I was scouting in March I mean there was a lot of deer in there so they're definitely in there at that part of the year um since I've been back in the summer, there seems to be a decent number of deer. I'm getting deer on trail camera. Uh, I bumped a pretty decent buck the other day when I went in there to do some work, uh, like a nice five point side on his right side and like a weird funky fork dagger thing on his left. Um, so right now uh, we haven't been able to make all the changes i wanted to because the whole covid thing this spring completely shut down our spring plans um like it just changed a lot of the stuff we wanted to do so i got a little bit done this spring and then we're going to try to do more over the next like 10 days we're doing some more stuff but it's definitely not the ideal i still think though there's going to be some noticeable progress because of three big things um this spring I wanted to address these old fields. So as you know, a lot of the property is just like old farm field that was growing up just from whatever was out there. And it had been mostly almost all this weed called mare's tail. And it's this invasive weed that has very has no food value to deer, has very little cover. Um, the leaves drop early, then you're just left with kind of bean stalks. So like once the leaves came down in October, it was basically like a, like a bean field, um, you know, with no beans and a lot of deer didn't want to travel across that deer weren't bedding in that deer weren't feeding in that. Um, I want to try to change that. So this spring, my plan was to plant switchgrass across a lot of these areas. So I frost seeded switchgrass, which basically means I just, excuse me I broadcast switchgrass seed over the ground um, right. early in the spring when' it was still freezing and thawing freezing and thawing and then it just takes in the seed and then I sprayed this pre-emergent herbicide that would kill the mare's tail and that stuff and you know reduce the competition for the switchgrass to come back in so I did that and then I also planted a variety of little lines and coves and visual barriers of that switchgrass sorghum stuff that I talked about earlier. I did that across different places on the across the farm to create just more structure out there in these fields. Um, and when I came back from Idaho and went to go check it out just recently, what I saw was a couple things. Number one, those screening areas came in mostly very good. I tried it last year. They pretty much didn't come in at all last year. This year they came in pretty dang good. So we've got like a lot of these kind of like corn patches scattered throughout or walls of corn scattered throughout. It's not corn, but it looks like it. So right there, it went from these like being 10 acre open fields to now not feeling like 10 acre open fields just with that. Secondly, by spraying this spring, I essentially eliminated almost all the mare's tail and what replaced it was some of that switchgrass, but switchgrass is notoriously slow to grow. And I've I remember I talked to it, it seems to be like a, you'll get some the first year, but you'll get a lot more the second. So there's some switchgrass in there, but it's definitely not full of it. Um, but a bunch of other stuff came in once the mare's tail competition wasn't there. You know I've got a bunch of different kinds of grasses. I've got a bunch of different forbs, uh, bunch of golden, uh, uh, golden rod, a bunch of golden goldenrod, a bunch of shrubby stuff i mean it's just diverse all sorts of different plant types out here lots of tall thick cover in all these fields now where last year that wasn't the case so the fields are a lot better so i think that that almost doubles the amount of cover we have on the farm compared to what it was last year and then last i am about quadrupling the amount of food that we're planting. So last year I probably got just over an acre of food plots in and they didn't even come in that well. This year I'm closer to almost four acres of food plots that I'm planting. Um, just cause I did not see the deer activity, you know, the deer were not hitting our food plots hard. They're moving off to these bigger food sources on neighboring properties. So, so this year I've, like I said, significantly increasing that I've got a better understanding of how to plant with a no-till drill. I've, I'm planting another one of these blends, but I feel good about this one. Um, so if all this pans out, I'm going to have four times the amount of food out there, two times the amount of cover out there, and these strategic, you know, walls of corn looking stuff making it even more broken up. And then finally, next week we're going to come in and plant I don't know, maybe 40, 50 trees across the farm in these old fields. We're going yeah. to create various like little pockets of trees, so like a cluster of five on this little knob, a cluster of four over here in this corner, cluster of four or five over here, and create all these little pockets of evergreen cover too. So you take all that, and I think you've got a really diverse farm with a lot of cool stuff going on with food in, in, in good places that can be hunted and that will hold deer on the property, but lots of cover scattered throughout. Um, And still there's that swamp that naturally is right there in the middle too. Um, And then then the last big thing we did is that we did a prescribed fire across this big ridge system we have that has some native prairie. I removed a bunch of like this invasive uh, tree essentially called buckthorn and then another bush called uh, autumn olive removed a lot of that and then we came in and burned this prairie area on the ridge and now it's come in just flush full of stuff so you've got like a three acre ridge that is got like i don't know nine foot tall prairie grass in there and cedar trees and and then that's right next to a swamp which is next to these overgrown fields with four acres of food plots tucked inside of all that i mean i don't know that sounds like a whitetail and and wildlife mecca to me yeah,
2: man. Well, is now, are there any deer from last year? Have you already checked cameras on that farm? So I've only
1: checked. I've got one cell camera that I've been getting pictures on, but all the rest I have not checked. Um, but yes, yeah, so you're wondering about bucks. Yeah. So there is a big 10-pointer that I was getting pictures of all the way to the end. Not big, but... There was a three-year-old 10-pointer that was still showing up on camera to the end of last season. He was just like a nice, solid, kind of tight and tall 10-pointer last year. And I haven't heard of anyone killing that deer. He was showing up pretty much almost to the very end of the season. I think I got pictures. So I feel good that he probably made it. And if he did, he'll be, he'll be a really nice buck. So I'm really hoping that buck shows up. Um, There's that funky buck that I just mentioned to you that I bumped the other day. I you know I couldn't see his body size so I don't know if he's like a huge body mature buck he's you know he'd be a shooter I couldn't tell for sure just by watching him run away Um there is this big uh fork buck that we were getting a bunch of pictures through most of last year like he was like tall imagine like a I don't even know how to like what he looks like almost like a mule deer with like a forked antler mule deer like a four point what they would call a two point mule deer almost except for the forks were farther out on the beams not like super deep on the beams just like a big four pointer last year um if he is back this year he would be a really cool deer and I think he might be um and there was like a nice six pointer That showed up on trail camera on the cell cam the other day that I don't think would be a shooter for me, but he'd be a shooter buck for um, my dad, who's going to come and hunt again. I I brought him out there to hunt last November for a couple days and it didn't work out, but I'm going to have him back to hunt for like five days right around that time period of early October when you were going to be here. Uh, He's going to come in on the fifth and hunt for four or five days during that period and I'm really hoping to get him a crack at something. So that, that buck or, you know, any nice like two year old would be like the biggest buck he's ever shot. So that would be, that would be super cool. Um, you know, everything else that I know of last year, there's like this really big eight pointer. I saw not that I saw, got pictures of last year. I heard from a neighbor that someone shot him and never found him. So he might be dead. Um, the funky sided like there's like a funky nine someone sent me a picture of him getting shot by someone and then I killed the wide eight so basically everything we got pictures of last year was uh was knocked was knocked off through hunting season so so yeah I don't know I will hopefully know in another week or two when I do check up but uh I I, I'm much more hopeful this year I really think if if we get rain and the food plots come in okay um I think we're we've got we've got some cool stuff in there that, that should make it, should make it promising. So it's another one of the situations like it was last year, a little bit where it's not me, it's not just me hunting it. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be hunting it quite the way I would normally do it. You know, that first time we go in there, it'll be mostly just trying to get my dad a buck for that first hunt. And then I don't think I'll be going back to hunt it again until we start filming in the second week of November. And at that point, a couple other people are going to be joining me out there and be trying to get them a deer. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit less about me killing a deer out there and more about sharing with other people and learning some stuff and seeing how the property grows and changes. And so I think my goals out there for the back 40 would just be for it to be a much better experience for people. Last year when we went out there and hunted, it was a lot of slow hunts, you know, we killed one guest hunter kill a doe and I did kill a buck, but it was like, that was like the one flash of greatness that one day. Um, I would love it if this is a place where like, if you go out there, you better have your seatbelt on. Cause it's going to be an exciting hunt.
2: I'm hoping <laughs> yeah, that'd it can, be nice,
1: man. That's my goal for the back four this year is like, give me an exciting, fun place for people to hunt. Um, and shoot, if there's a nice mature buck out there, that's a bonus.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. That's awesome. One, one thing I, I thought of real quick that has, e- has me even more excited about the farm that I hunt is crop rotation year. Um, what do you the mean? farmer, like the farmer doesn't take the corn out of this 40 acre field until mid November. And it's awesome because it creates this wall between a road and the timber that, is just this travel corridor for, that I've, that I've kind of figured out. They, they come up a ridge, they cut this ridge. It's where I, it's where I shot my buck in 2018, that big nine. Yep. So I'm excited to get back and start hunting that particular, uh, piece of the farm just because of the crop rotation. Now the crop rotation on the farm near your home, is that a, does it matter? As far as crop rotation, or do you see, like, if it's a corn year, there's more deer, or if it's a bean year, it's more more deer.
1: Yeah, you know what? I have not seen it really influence yeah. things it, it, every single year, regardless. There's there's something. Um, what is nice though is that um, I like it when the whatever's on that farm is different than the neighboring farm. And that's what we have this year. So I've got a neighbor with standing corn, but on our farm, it's just beans. Um, So at least there's a little bit of both right there. And, and it is kind of nice, like in that front section where that front food plot system is, um, what you have is basically my two acre, like there's a finger of timber that comes out. And then there's this food plot system tucked into the inside corner of that finger of timber and so I've got this two acres of food mixed with cover and brush and all this stuff, my four leaf clover food plus system. And then right across the Creek from that is a sliver of beans, but it really is only like, I don't know, a hundred yards wide. And then it hits a standing cornfield on the neighbors. So there's a bunch of stuff in small proportions, all stacked in this little corner. And that's right next to this Primo bedding area. Um, so these deer are coming in and out and they can feed in the open bean field, but it still feels pretty secluded because that standing corn's right next to it. And then my wall of sorghum and, uh, Egyptian wheat is just on the other side. And then this thick brush on the bedding area is right next to that. Um, so there's been like a ton of activity in there this summer that I think is because things just worked out nicely to have standing corn next to this and my standing stuff on one side. Um. it it feels it's not as wide open as it is some years, which I think is going to be a good thing. Yeah. So we shall see. Um, We shall see.
2: Yep. So, you know, I think I mentioned that earlier, you know, I, I, I typically have a ton of mature deer on the farm this time of year or whenever I check my trail cameras by now. And I haven't checked them since shit for early July. And, I I was a little disappointed I had the one good deer that was on camera that was it but this is one of those years where I call it a bean year on the farm and I think what I'm hoping is that it redeems itself like the farm kind of redeems itself and once the The beans became palatable, more deer kind of come and show themselves on the farm and work their way in into it. So I'm hoping that that will make a big difference. And uh, tomorrow or whenever I go and check my cameras, I will have more intel and uh, more information and hopefully the, the, the big dogs show up. Man. If the big dog shows up, I might need to get you back on the
1: horn and talk to you for five minutes to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see. Um, so this year is hopefully going to be the year of Gnarly Charlie for you in November, while October is going to be the year of travels for you Yep, with South Dakota and the Michigan Adventure. And for me, it's going to be Tran Year 3 and hoping to see the back 40 bloom into something special this year. Um, other than killing, you know, one of your big mature bucks in Iowa and having a great experience in Michigan and filling a fill in a cooler, um, and I'm sure, well, I, I guess you can speak to this too. Do you have any other main goals for the season? Probably something with your South Dakota hunt, of course, but anything
2: anything there worth noting? I'm just excited, man. I, the older I get, I get a different vibe off bow hunting, and it's more of this weird connection than it is to let's go slay some giants. You know, like the old Dan Johnson, and this, like, like I'm gonna turn 40 in November, so I'm really just going, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm oh, well. really just going to enjoy myself, man. This. This hunt that I do in South Dakota is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those hunts where you backpack in, you're doing the whole backcountry thing. You you get up on a knob, you glass, and there's no human structures. Like you don't see farms, you don't see antennas. You'd ha- you you got to look real hard for them. But it's just you're in the middle of nowhere, and There's something about that. I I made a Facebook or an Instagram post the other day where I don't know what I like more, the actual hunt of the hunting season or the fact of this isolation, being able to isolate yourself and just be alone in nature. And I don't know, man, I'm starting to love that equally to the chess game with some of these animals. So it's just, I just look forward to this stuff every single year. And the, the passion really hasn't died down. It's just changed. Yeah, right and, here. and I, I'm, I'm just so geeked for, you know, that, that drive, that anticipation. I, I mean, the other, or yesterday I cleaned my water bladders out. I got my, uh, you know, I got my food organized. I got my uh, backpacks organized, some of my gear organized for the uh, mule Deer trip. You know, I, I put a new sight on my bow. Uh, I got my confirmation that my new arrows are coming in. So all as much as I feel like I'm behind and say I'm behind, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, checking the boxes and putting the pieces of the puzzle together so that. The you know, the two days before the I leave for South Dakota, I know that, hey, my mobile setup is ready for Michigan. My trail cameras are out in, you know, in Iowa, and I have all the gear I need for South Dakota. I am just at that point on autopilot, and I just go where the wind takes me.
1: <laughs> so tell me this. Yeah. What is one area of improvement that you are hoping to focus on in some way this year? Is there anything that you've thought about leading into this year that you want to try to do a little differently or that you want to learn from last year or something
2: like that? You know, I think it's hard because you don't know what to improve on until you make those mistakes. Right? So you fail and then you learn from that failure and you make better decisions the next time you you set foot in the, the timber or a field, so to speak, I don't, I don't know that I've necessarily improved or gotten better at anything. One thing that I I'm going to do is to just slow down and absorb, you know, absorb that, you know, not necessarily sit in front of a phone all day, looking at weather, looking at maps, you know, just deciphering all that talking about that equation that if the wind's doing this and the terrain is this, then I need to do this and all that stuff. Just like go and make my decision with every step. If that makes sense. I think so. Okay. Um, Not not react or uh, I want to react, not plan. If that makes sense.
1: I think I follow you. I think I follow you. That's kind of in line with one of my, areas of improvement is I want to take my uh, kind of like the stuff I talked about with Andre and some other guys earlier uh, take my scouting to the next level like like not be so dependent just on trail cameras and what I see and try to get my ground game up a little bit and so I'm really trying to focus more on paying attention to tracks trying to pay attention to what's the sign telling you and being willing to push in and 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 lose this goes back to something from last week, lose the fear of failure. A lot of my hunting, especially early on, and every year I've gotten better as I've gotten more experienced, but there was always this fear of failure. You know, it was like, you hear all these people and you read all these magazines that preach, don't spook a mature buck. Don't let those bucks know you're there. You gotta make sure that, you know, they have no idea because if they catch you once, you're done. So, so much of my hunting revolved around, you know, keeping pressure, as low as possible, never letting a deer know I was there, and 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 stressing out all the time about that. Not that that's not important. It's I think it's still very important. But I'm also learning that you you can get away with things if it's done in the smart way, and because you got to take stabs to get the kill. Um, you got to get aggressive sometimes to make it happen. So so I want to this year lose a little bit of that fear of failure because sometimes you do have to swing for the fences to hit a home run. Um, you can't always just sit on the sideline. So that's, I want to, I think I've been taking steps there each of the past few years and, um, I'm wanting to take another step this year in that kind of way. So I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive. I'm going to get deeper into things than I have in the past. I'm going to explore just a little bit more. Um, and if I bump something or if I screw it up that day, well, learn from it and adjust and we'll see what happens. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Any last things you want to cover off on for our goals, hopes, and hit list, Dan?
2: You know, I, I have one more small goal, and that is to get my son and daughter out for a a field edge hunt where I'm not expecting to shoot anything per se, but I want to get them out and get them in a tree stand for – you know, for an hour or so and let them see, like, hopefully the goal is to let them see deer in a, in their natural environment, you know, and say, Oh, look, Hey, there's a deer right there. Watch him. Let's just watch. Even if he's a hundred yards away, let them put up the binoculars, let them do all that stuff. So a little bit of the, you know, the father teaching their kids how to hunt stuff, um, while the weather's good and, uh, get some of that going too. Yeah, that's awesome. I was,
1: I was thinking about trying to get Everett out for a little sit at this uh, sometime this fall too. If, if somehow it worked out where our schedule and weather came together and to do something like that, to sit in like a box blind or a blind that would be comfortable for him and we wouldn't spook ten thousand deer, that would be, that'd be awesome. Because he is yep. like my son is nuts for deer right now. Um, yeah. Every night before bed, he wants to watch a deer buck show as he calls him. So we watch a little bit of deer buck before bed, and he, when there's a buck on screen, he's rattling. He's got his own rattling antlers. He goes to bed. He brings his rattling antlers to bed with him. <laughs> he's got a grunt tube, so he's grunting. And he'll, I swear to goodness, swear to goodness, I have to say goodness, because if I say I swear to God, or if I say, oh my God, by accident, he's starting to repeat everything. So I'm, uh, I'm yeah, trying to make sure. Don't tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to be more careful with my language these days. Yeah. Um, but uh, he... He will do a regular grunt. He knows how to do a basic, Bruh. he knows how to snort wheeze. So he'll snort wheeze at bucks. And then he also, he'll try to stop a buck to get a shot. So when the buck's getting close, he'll start going, meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: so funny. Um, so It's that's, funny, you say, that's it's funny fun. you say that. Okay, so I got all the, my mounts in my living room, right? And I asked my daughter, which, which deer of all these mounts do you uh, like the best? She points to one. And I say, why? She's like, because it's got big antlers. I'm <laughs> like, okay. My, my oldest son, hey, what, uh, what do you like about, or what's your favorite deer on the wall? Points to the same buck and says it's because it's got big antlers. And my little, my, my two-year-old, I go, which one is your favorite? And he points to the mount with the, uh, probably the smallest rack up there. And I go, buddy. Why do you like that buck? And he goes, "Big neck." <laughs> that's awesome, <laughs> big neck. And it is, it is, it is the uh, 2016. I shot this buck, and his neck is just all swollen uh, and huge. And uh, I, I lost it. I was like, "Yes, yes!" That's so funny. That is um, great. Oh man, yeah. gotta love it. It's
1: gonna be so much fun when these guys are out there hunting with us.
2: Yeah. I had a conversation with a 72-year-old the other day um, who – his kids are my age now, right? And he's now transitioned into grandpa mode where he takes his grandchildren out sometimes fishing and and, and hunting. And he's he's telling me his favorite – the thing he remembers the most is when they start to get into their – teenage years and they still really like the outdoors and they really haven't they've made a decision that they want to be an outdoorsman it's okay to not go hang out with your friends right every single weekend they they want to do the hunting thing right he's like that's awesome but what i love even more is when we have arguments or when we used to have arguments over where to go set up he's like that stuck with me and that showed me that they were just as passionate As I was about, you know, getting into hunting because they, they started forming their own opinions on, on how animals moved and where they should set up and all these things. And he's like, it was stressful at the time, but I absolutely, I look back and I absolutely loved that stress. That's awesome. That, that will be cool. That will be cool. Well, we got
1: a lot to look forward to my friend.
2: I know. Several more years until that, though, but, uh, man, I'll tell you this, Mark. Good luck this upcoming fall. I hope you have a blast. Thank you, sir. Same to you. Let's uh, let's make sure we're checking
1: in as frequently as we possibly can over these coming months so we can keep the, uh, the progress updates coming. And uh, hopefully next time we talk for one of these things, I'll have an Idaho story for you.
2: Absolutely, man.
1: All right, bud. Thank you. And that is today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. A little lighthearted, a little bit focused on Dan and and not a little bit, completely focused on my season and Dan's season. But uh, this is something we try to lay out there so you can follow along with us throughout the rest of the season and kind of see some of the things we're thinking about. And then as the season plays out, you can kind of compare and contrast to what we were hoping for or what we were thinking to what actually happens. And then when the season's done, we're going to do a post-mortem and talk about what we learned. Did we meet those goals? Did we fail to meet those goals? What do we learn from all of that? What kinds of mistakes did we make? There's sure to be a lot of that. So be sure to tune in, see how this thing pans out, see what stories come to life, and uh, see if maybe Dan and I can fill a tag or two, and, and hopefully you as well. So thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for this one. We will be back next week with all sorts of interesting new topics and until then thank you and stay wired to hunt
0: i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you